Welcome to the Go To Thrive Podcast, the place to inspire people in the workplace and go to thrive. Mary Jane Roy and Vivian Aqua want to make happiness the new norm and offer solutions to create higher engagement in the workplace. Our Go To Thrive podcast guest today is Rachel Druckenmiller, and Rachel is on a mission to rehumanize the workplace by harmonizing the power of intentional leadership. With over 13 years of experience in the wellness industry, she is an award-winning thought leader and speaker. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to our podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and have this conversation today. We, we are too. Can you tell our audience something about who you are and please include something that they won't find on your LinkedIn as well as what you do? <laughs> uh, so let's see, I'm the, I'm the daughter of two entrepreneurs and so I've had it in my blood since I was a really little girl to kind of uh, blaze my own trail and to kind of make up the work that I want to do and to pursue something that I feel is, is meaningful in the world. And um, one of the things people might not know about me is that I was very shy as a little kid. And I actually, <laughs> I had a book called The Introvert's Advantage um, in high school <laughs> and avoided public speaking classes in college. And now the ironic thing is, is that I get paid to speak as a professional speaker as an adult. <laughs> so there is hope for those who are introverted, right? <laughs> there is hope. And oddly enough, it's like when you realize what speaking is, it's often really a performance in a sense. And so you can kind of turn on and turn off certain things. and when you're speaking about something you love, you don't feel like the same sense of nerves as you would if you were speaking about something you didn't necessarily care about. So the passion over overrides the nerves for me. That resonates a lot with, with me, Rachel. Uh, I, I've often said that to people. As long as I'm speaking about something that I'm passionate about, I'm not nervous. Mm -hmm. So that does make a difference. Rachel, can you share with our audience a favorite quote and why it resonates with you? You know, there's a quote by Howard Thurman. I don't want to, I don't want to jack it up, but it's, um, you know, what the world needs is people who have come alive like that. Um, I'm going to find it so that I can say exactly what it is. I know you probably heard the um, quote in, in some capacity, but it's don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Mm. Love it. And that's what I'm passionate about doing is, is, is igniting people to, to feel more alive in their relationships and their work and their body. Because I think so many people are kind of running on autopilot and living their lives in kind of like zombie mode. And they, you know, get decades down the road and they, they wake up and they have no idea how they've gotten where they are and they're not necessarily happy with it. And so I want to kind of help wake people up earlier in the process so that they can know what it is to feel alive and um, really live their life more intentionally. It's interesting because there's a, there's a nurse, and I don't know her name, there's a nurse in, in America who's written about the work that she's done with hospice uh, yes. patients. And the, one of the, 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 the five- uh, The regrets of the dying. Regrets, yes, of, yes, of the dying. And it's the number one, and the rest all feed off of it, but number one is not being true to themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what I think, the quote is really, uh, is really encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, Bronnie Ware is her name. Ah, okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. 
Yes. When it comes to being healthy and thriving, can you share what really matters? You know, that's a, that's a question I don't think we ask enough and, and really think about enough because in the wellness space, and I've been doing this, my, my entire career has been in this industry. And I think if you ask most people, they say, oh, you know, it's eating well and exercising. And I'm a health coach, so I certainly agree with those things. But in my research and in the work that I do and what I focus on, the thing that matters the most, the most is social connection and having deep relationships where we can be honest and vulnerable and lean on people for support and be open and be appreciated and encouraged and loved for who we are um, and to have resources in, in times of difficulty. Like that is really the thing that distinguishes a good life from a great life is having deep relationships. But yet we're using our mobiles and, and are all connecting with people only on our devices instead of real life uh, connections, right? Yeah, so often and, you know, even examples like this. I mean, this is really cool that we can, you know, talk from around the globe and, and have this ability to, to connect in a really powerful way. But I think you're right. I think oftentimes we lean on the phone as like a crutch because we're uncomfortable with that awkwardness that happens when you're in conversation with somebody, especially someone you don't know. And we're like, well, my phone is predictable and familiar. So I'm going to just go with that instead of taking the risk. It's a risk to connect. I mean, someone, you could be rejected. Um, someone might not think you're interesting, but that's, I think, more a reflection on them than, than you. And, and so I think, yes, we have, as we get more digital, we have to really focus on what we can do to be more intentional with face-to-face -face interactions and connections because there's no substitute for that. True, yeah, true. So Rachel, we, we all know there are exceptional organizations, eh? creating great company cultures, thriving, engaged employees. What is your take on the current company culture in general? You know, in most organizations, I think what's happened is um, there's a there's a phrase that I like to say a lot in the, the speeches that I give and that it's that that culture happens by design or by default. Mm. And a lot of organizations, their culture is happening by default. They're not intentionally designing it. And that takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of humility from leadership to really create the space to ask employees what they need, what they want, to ask them what's working here, um, what could we do better or differently here, uh, what should we stop doing here that's ineffective. I think most organizations don't take the time to ask those simple questions of their employees to find out, you know, what they need, because at the end of the day, that's what leadership is meant to do, is meant to really be there to be stewards of their employees' lives. Um, and so. I think the current state of culture at most organizations is affected by the fact that we are not intentionally designing our organizational cultures, that leaders have not been trained to be human leaders. They've been trained to just get things done and maximize profits and maximize shareholder value and have neglected to recognize that employees are like shareholders too. Like if they're not if they're not effective, like everything else is going to crumble. So I, I think as Bob Chapman, who's the CEO of Barry Waymiller um, and the, the author of the book, Everybody Matters, one of the things he says is that we have a, we have a leadership crisis and that that is the thing that is affecting 
health and well-being um, more significantly than a lot of the other things we're focusing on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love the work that Bob Chapman is doing in this area. I heard him speak here at one of the universities and uh, uh, I was really, really inspired by him. So thank you for bringing, bringing up his name as an example. Sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And also, why is it that we have a problem with the leadership, right? Because people land in and they don't get trained yes. to become yes. leaders. But what is a leader? You know, that's a really, it's an interesting question that I've, I've heard framed before. Um, I think a leader is someone who casts a vision and who, who casts a compelling vision and who looks for ways to kind of buoy up people to rally around that vision. And I think they're also somebody who is willing to take risks. I mean, to be, to lead at all is to, is to take a risk to put your, to put your neck out there. Um, I think a lot of times really brave and courageous leaders are, are willing to be honest about what they don't know and what they've messed up to have that humility and vulnerability as you know Brene Brown talks a lot about the importance of this vulnerability in leadership i think there's someone who lives by example that we would look to them and say you know i want these aspects of my life to reflect what i'm seeing in this person and i don't think we have a lot of leaders today that a lot of people would necessarily want to emulate in that in that way um, and it's I think a lot of it is because there's there's this fear of vulnerability in leadership and there's this fear of being seen as incompetent or insecure um, or inadequate in some way. And so a lot of leaders put up this front that they have it all together and they know all things and um, they don't want anyone to see them anything other than less than a powerful position. And that's a really risky space to be in. And I, and I think that's what's starting to happen is people are starting to kind of to snap and to break and to realize that you can't lead that way for any sustainable amount of time. And definitely because the, there's a generation that is standing up right now and are saying, I'm leaving the company because of you. Yes. Yes. Like that command and control, that way that we used to lead, that's not going to fly anymore. That because I said so leadership is not... <laughs> People are like, uh, see you later. I'm going to start my own company. You know, like that's, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not going to work. And it's, it's great because it's, you know, we're not machines. We're in the, we're in the purpose and knowledge economy. We're not in the industrial revolution anymore. And so a lot of the work that people do does not require being at the side of a machine for, you know, eight to 12 hours a day. You can do work from anywhere. And so this, this idea of command and control leadership is going to be something that is going to become a thing of the past and organizations that don't get it are going to lose people. True, true. Or they'll, or they'll lose their business. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I saw a video of you talking about reframing wellness. Mm -hmm. Why was it necessary for you to address that? So it's interesting. I think I, so I, several years ago, um, when I started in the industry, I, I noticed that what was happening is most of the conversation around wellness was around return on investment, um, getting people to do things, uh, biometric screenings, health risk assessments, and my background's in psychology. And I remember looking at these things and thinking like collectively, I'm not sure that all of these things are the answers to 
what we need to do to help people, you know, be well and thrive. And I was recognized by the Wellness Council of America several years ago, 2015, um, for a health promotion professional award that they did. And I got to give a, like a, a speech when I won the award. And one of the things I said back then four years ago is we need to stop like dehumanizing wellness and we need to rehumanize wellness because we have made it so clinically focused and we have removed the, the individual and the person and the complexity of that from the equation. And so reframing wellness as well-being is really saying this person is a complex multifaceted individual and we can't just look at them in a vacuum and point fingers at them and blame them for drinking soda and sitting on the couch and, and smoking because at the end of the day, all of those are basically coping mechanisms for how stressed and unhappy they are in their lives a lot of times. <laughs> um, so we need to address like the root causes, which is, you know, typically, you know, a lack of a sense of purpose, uh, a lack of meaning at work and poor quality relationships. And if we can address those things, then people will more likely have more of a desire to care about the other perhaps physical aspects of their lives. So I think we need to reframe it as there's something I've said before, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but that we need to move from compliance, this focus on do this or else to connection. And we need to move from programs and policies to a sense of purpose. And we really need to focus on instead of nitpicking and siloing people as these individual aspects of who they are, we need to view, the, view them and treat them as a whole person. And so when I talk about reframing wellness, it's, it's in those ways. It's connection, purpose, and, and the whole person. Something that I heard in, in a webinar you gave, and I think it, it defines it as well, let's shift from scaring to caring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was, I think that was a, in one of the Walcoa conferences, my gosh, probably seven or eight years ago. That was one of the things that um, was mentioned in, I had written down in my, I'm an avid, you know, a pretty, I, I, I love note-taking. So I, I take notes about everything. I'm a perpetual student. And I wrote that down and I kept it. I, I kind of hung on to those words that we need to shift from, yeah, scaring people into being well, which we know does not work, into really making sure that our focus and our intention is on caring about and for them. Yeah, I, I did like that. Um, and, and I've made a note of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> it will probably be coming back in some of my work. Yeah. Um, Rachel, what, what are three essential ingredients that companies need to use to positively influence the mental health of employees? So this has become a very prevalent, prevalent topic in the space these days, and for good reason. I think one of the things that they need to do is to have consistent and ongoing check-ins with employees. So we've had a process for the past couple of years where we do quarterly check-ins with human resources and we ask questions about, um, you know, is there anything else we can do to support you in your, in your role here? Um, what could we do? What's one thing that we could do to make your life better here in some way? Uh, you know, do you have, do you need additional support or training in order to do the work that, is on your plate to do, um, you know, is there, is there anything going on outside of work that's, 
affecting your ability to perform at your job that that we could provide resources or support for you on like i i don't i don't think the conversation the space for those conversations exists at many employers I agree. um and and i think the other part is even training managers managers it's we're so, we are in such a litigious society that people are afraid if i say the wrong thing if i cross a line um so they just don't even try i think if they notice that someone I think getting trained, for instance, on the symptoms of burnout, which is now labeled a official medical diagnosis by the World Health Organization. I, I burned out two years ago. I got mono and Epstein-Barr virus, and I exhibited a lot of the signs. I mean, I would withdraw. I was, I was irritable. I, um, some of my work started to suffer. And what can happen when we see somebody exhibiting some of those symptoms is we assume that it's a performance issue instead of digging deeper and saying, hey, like I'm noticing these things are happening and, and I know they're not really like you when you're at your best. Is, is anything going on that you'd like to talk about? Because I, you know, we really value having you here and we care about you and we want to support you if there's something going on that is not working. And to have that awareness, to notice, I think so much of the issues around mental health is because we're, we may be either not noticing at all that something has shifted in someone, we're assigning a reason to why without asking them, and, or if we are noticing, we're not doing anything about it. And so I think a lot of it is training leaders to understand like what are the signs and symptoms of things like burnout or depression or suicide even. So that if they notice something is going on, that they're equipped to have a conversation and then have like regularly sharing resources, not just to open enrollment and not just here's our EAP, call the phone number, but what can we do more intentionally to share resources with employees? Um, like we, we will share the Psychology Today website, for instance, where you can look up profiles of different uh, practitioners and, and see their picture and get a sense of whether you might be a good fit. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think those are a couple of things. I think one is consistent conversations with employees, ongoing conversations, not just once a year. I think training managers to understand and spot warning signs and equipping them to have those conversations. And then I think the third is, is really being intentional about offering resources and, and communicating that frequently to employees. Um, to really address some of the issues and the challenges that they're dealing with that are affecting their mental health. Breaking the taboo really, isn't it? By making it part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some companies have gone so far as to do videos and have people talk about their depression and their anxiety and their bipolar. And I know some organizations aren't ready for that because they think, well, this is going to disrupt someone's ability to perform here. And so there is this stigma. There's a significant stigma still around it. Um, but I, but I think that it's, it's, we're beginning to make some progress and to recognize that, you know, if someone had a broken, someone sprained their ankle and they were taking medicine for it or icing for it, you know, took off, took off work, no one would say anything. But if someone's having a depressive bout or if someone's dealing with crippling anxiety uh, or burnout, there's this judgment <laughs> that we place on them for taking time off. And it's like, why is mental health any different than physical health? It's not visible. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. What can people do when they are feeling stuck at the workplace? So if they're feeling stuck at work in the sense of 
like not making progress in their job, not feeling heard, specifically what aspect of stuckness? Not feeling heard. So if someone's not feeling heard at work or feeling stuck in some sense, I mean, one of the things that I've intentionally done that's really helped shape my career is I've pursued opportunities for growth and learning uh, without waiting for someone to come to me. And I think that's one of the ways to get unstuck and to add some variety and um, kind of stimulate our mind is to find what's something that interests you that you'd like to learn more about and looking for trainings, looking for conferences, looking for interest groups, perhaps your organization that focus on that thing and getting involved in that and taking the initiative. And perhaps if one doesn't exist and there's a cause you care about that you would initiate something like that. Because when we have something that we deeply care about, that we're passionate about, that we're interested in, that's one of the ways that we can kind of wake ourselves up and come alive. And to make the case for how, if we're pursuing learning or going to a conference, making the case for how whatever we're learning, we're going to bring back and make the organization better in some way and being very clear about that. Um, that's one of the ways that I've been able to constantly kind of reinvent myself in my work. And I think a lot of people wait around for people to give them opportunities and then they're frustrated when they don't come up, but you have to seek and create your own opportunities and the things that were going to stimulate you. Isn't it also true that sometimes managers or the person who's in charge of creating the opportunities doesn't know what they want or which direction they, that, uh, their coworker or their employee wants to go? Yes. Oftentimes they don't, and they don't have those growth conversations. I mean, those are the, 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 Two of the things people want more than anything is to it's to be able to grow and have a sense of con contribution. And um, people want to be able to answer the question, you know, who does my work impact and why does it matter? And if we can give people opportunities to have more conversations like that with their managers, I mean, managers are often so pressed for time these days that they are just, you know, doing fire drills all day and don't have the time. They're not really given the time to have more of those meaningful conversations. So I think having more of those one-on-one -on -one conversations of the vision of asking people, what do you value? What matters to you? And you know, where do you see yourself in a year? Where do you see yourself in two to three to five years? And, and what can I do to help you get there? Those conversations are not happening nearly enough in organizations. And if they were, going back Vivian to the feeling stuck, not being heard, mm -hmm. if they were taking place regularly in organizations, obviously the, that employee is going to feel recognized. Yes. Valued. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Having those opportunities. That's what, that's one of the things that makes people feel valued is when they say, Oh, I want, I would like to do this. I'd like to grow in this way. And the organization supports them. I mean, that's, it's a very compelling thing. And, and it's, again, it's like simple, but people aren't doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, Rachel, how can organizations, because this is going to be coming, I think, a much more uh, of, of um, what's the term I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, much more part of the, the work environment is remote working. So how mm -hmm. can organizations connect with remote workers to prevent them from being and feeling disconnected? Yeah. So there's a couple ways remote work um, can kind of be supported. And, and I, one, if there's a capacity to bring people together, even if it's once a year or quarterly or having spots. So let's say you have, let's say an organization has 10 locations around the, the world, let's just say, just keep it simple. 
and they're concentrated in certain cities that you would have, for instance, a focus on bringing together the remote, the remote workers that are in a given city on some frequent basis, whether it's quarterly, biannually, annually, so they can actually see each other. Um, I think that's important. I think using video conferencing whenever possible. So if you are talking to somebody who's remote doing video conferencing and if you're having meetings, for instance, letting them lead and facilitate some of the discussion because oftentimes they just feel like they're a voice on the other end of the line and people forget that they're there. <laughs> um, so if you're doing video conferencing and you're giving that person the opportunity to lead the discussion, people can begin to see them as a leader and not just a voice. And then I also think intranets have become really significant in terms of giving people opportunities to connect. I know there's several platforms out there um, Slack and there's one called Jostle and uh, Kazoo HR. These are all platforms that people can use to do recognition, employee engagement, you know, virtual check-ins, performance management. And, and so I think the extent to which we can leverage technology for good in those ways, uh, create opportunities to simulate face-to-face -face as much as possible through video conferencing, and then to the extent possible, creating little hubs where people do get together face-to-face -to -face on some frequency. Uh, I think those are all things that can contribute to making remote work sustainable because just never interacting with people face-to-face, -face, that's contributes to loneliness. And it can be one of the things, actually some organizations are taking away the remote work policies and bringing people back to the office because they've recognized that it's negatively affected their culture. So it's a fine line, um, but I think giving people choice, giving people choice about that remote work and giving them flexibility um, while also creating some expectation for physically being together is important. Some great advice. And, and I just, I, I wanna add in that I, I hope not many organizations will take away the possibility altogether. Agreed. As you say, you know, that they allow the, the, the choice to, to be with the employee uh, and, and set some kind of guidelines around it. But I think it'd be a real shame for yes. life integration if it was uh, taken away completely. Um, yes. And also with the open workspaces that are so difficult for so many people mm -hmm. to focus and concentrate in. Yeah, and it's another reason why I'd, I'd prefer to be working at home if yes. I could. <laughs> yeah, but great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Rachel, one of the last questions. Can you share your vision for creating a sustainable, thriving workplace on top of what you already shared before? Yeah, when I, when I think of a thriving workplace, I think of, of a place where everyone has the capacity. I mean, if we're casting big vision or your big picture vision, where everyone feels supported to pursue some aspect of work that lights them up. And that instead of trying to put people into the boxes that the role is, right, that we look at each individual, that we, we focus more intentionally on what are their personal values and what are their core strengths. And that we have from the very beginning of that, of that process of onboarding, of interviewing, that we that we look more at who the person is and, and who, who they are at their core and, and what that individual can bring to enhance the organization. And that we basically draw out more of that once the person comes on board. So 
if someone's highly creative, that we put them in a role to leverage their creativity. If they're highly analytical, that we put them in roles that allow them to operate out of their sweet spot. Um, so first starting with the individual, that, that people are given the ability to, to illuminate and, and live into what their natural strengths are and supported to, to learn more and train more to develop them and more deeply. Um, I see organizations where leaders are willing to be humble and vulnerable and honest and where they are leading with a sense of purpose and that they have created such a compelling vision for the impact of their work that people are running to work for them, that they can't keep up with all of the applications coming in because they have created an environment where people feel so valued and where people feel um, that they're able to bring their best, that they wouldn't want to work anywhere else, that we have environments where people come together to socialize over a variety of different things, whether it's volunteerism or uh, potlucks or um, game nights or uh, idea and information sharing, um, where a thriving workplace culture I see as a place where employees have a voice and where they feel heard and they're consistently asked for their input. And it's kind of like, kind of like a community where they're helping to create the direction that they're heading in instead of they're just being told what to do, where it's this co-creation of, of the work and the products and the offerings. And where we do a better job of, of storytelling and, and telling stories of impact and, and really highlighting what it is the work that this particular organization is doing and how it's making a difference in the lives of the people that work there and their clients and the community and the world. Um, and where people don't dread going to work because they're able, because they know that the best of who they are is going to be leveraged. Um, Can I sign but, up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like idyllic and utopian, but like we need to do more of that. You know, we've, true, so, we've accepted the fact that work sucks and it shouldn't. No, like we no, have to right. stop accepting that work sucks. Like that's frankly, <laughs> the first step is that people have just accepted that Mondays are terrible and Fridays are awesome. And that the work week is the thing that separates weekends, which are the things where I actually get to do what I want. And that is no sustainable way to live. Absolutely True. not. True. Yeah. So that I think, yeah, I think we need to cast utopian visions and idealistic views to start and then say, okay, now what can we realistically do? Um, but I think we have to have the big vision and that we have to pare down from that as opposed to just starting with the small thinking that so many organizations have <laughs> around uh, around what, what work can be. Like work can be this amazing, incredible, life-giving thing that makes an impact and makes money. Like this idea that people can be happy and make money <laughs> and the organization can thrive. It's, it's sort of like that's a foreign concept that if people are happy, then something must be, we must not be doing well financially. No. <laughs> like, so, so yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of kind of like questioning these old, you know, ways of thinking about what work is and what it can be. Thank you for sharing that really and truly. Sure. Yeah. And Rachel, is there a question that you'd like to ask us? 
Vivian or I, or both of us? Yeah, I'd say consistently in the conversations you've been having with people, what key themes have kind of been emerging over and over again? Is there any key theme that you're seeing kind of repeated in the conversations that you've been having with the different folks you've been talking to? Vivian, what, what thoughts do you have on that? I would say there are a lot of conversations about culture and diversity, diversity <laughs> and inclusion. That's mm -hmm. uh, the thing that, I, that comes on top of my mind at the moment. And I think also some of the, the underlying themes uh, revolve around the meaning, the purpose that you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, Rachel, uh, autonomy, how important that is, appreciation, a, yeah. a lot of these factors that are, that are missing for, for many people in the workplace at this time. But yeah. then again, it's also circled around connecting with people, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, this connection. We're craving, my goodness, we are, we are craving connection and, and it's work. Oh my gosh, relationships are, are work. <laughs> they, they take time and energy and investment and they are so worth it. Well, this is one relationship I'm glad we've started, Rachel. Yes, likewise. <laughs> And I'm going to be connecting with you as well uh, in person in the not too yeah. distant future. So that's also great. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing valuable tips about igniting authentic human connection at the workplace. And Thank you for having me. you're welcome. And to the listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, share them with us on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. And until the next time. Bye. Bye now. <laughs> Go to Thrive Podcasts, empower people to be happy before, during, and after work.